tell me yeah. what is residence and why do we need residence? Yes, those are good questions. Um, so residence is... Welcome. This is Unfolding, the show where I talk to creative business minds. My name is Marco Pfann and today we are talking to Justin Cohen from Buck. Two things. Justin is, I'm a big fan of Justin. He's the co-founder of Motional Quaver, which is, if you don't know, it's a blog. I think it was one of the first blogs around design and motion design, especially from way back in the 2000s. And the other thing is, Justin is now working at Buck. Buck is the biggest animation studio in the world. And Buck made a big announcement, I think like two weeks ago, one or two weeks ago, where they announced residence. And the whole industry is going crazy. What is residence? Why do we need that? What's, what's the goal of Buck? And all that is what we're going to cover today in today's show. So stay tuned. It's going to be an amazing show. And just one little hint for the conversation, for the talk we have is that residence is actually going to change the way the creative industry works. So enjoy the show. What I want to talk to you about today is residence, obviously. Okay. So okay. I think that's the biggest news so far. Um, yeah. So before we start, would you mind giving the audience a quick run through your career, what you have done, and why you're on the show. Okay, sure. Okay, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna answer the last bit. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So um, I've been kind of working in and around motion design for a little over 20 years. I uh, I have an undergrad degree in creative writing, not related at all to Whoa. design, but. I was graduating right around the time that the dot-com boom was happening and I was living in Austin. And so there was a lot of excitement around that. And I thought I was going to be a millionaire because I, I knew how to write HTML <laughs> and I knew like a tiny bit of JavaScript. Um, that didn't happen. I, I was not a millionaire, but I did because of that excitement, I did kind of find a way into design. My friend was working at a startup and And I realized, oh my gosh, I studied the wrong thing in school. <laughs> I should have been studying design. So I tried quickly to kind of teach myself as much as I could about um, design and, and specifically around like web design and that kind of thing. Um, and this was in the early 2000s. So at the same time, I didn't really know it, but kind of a revolution was happening in motion design. Uh, we didn't call it motion design back then. We didn't really call it motion graphics. We didn't have a name for it back then, but you know, desktop computing was taking over instead of the massive big computers that were running a lot of the graphics that you saw on TV, people were moving to desktop computing platforms because things like after effects, I think it was called future splash originally, um, were coming out and then flash, uh, Macromedia flash, which was later bought by Adobe also was opening up all these new avenues for people to do animation um, on the web, but also for broadcasts. So I got wind of that through some forums online and started, I created a blog called Tween that was just really a way for me to keep track of what I was seeing out there and, and things that I liked. Um, and then I didn't realize it, but people were actually visiting this blog and it got kind of popular. And so I started bringing on people to help with it. And when I decided to go back to school to get an MFA, I went to SCAD. Um, I decided this is probably a good time for me to kind of take this blog thing a little more seriously. And so I, I created Motionographer. And this was like April of 2006. And Motionographer um, became pretty popular over the next few years. We started getting like up to the point where we were getting maybe a million visitors a month from around the world. And uh, it, it gave me a lot of opportunities to to speak and, and meet people and uh, put me on the path that I'm on now, which is pretty non-traditional in the sense that, you know, I've had different roles. I've been um, a creative director. I've been a designer, an animator, um, a producer, an EP, all the, all the roles. Not, I'm not really good at any of them, but it's been good experience, you know, just because of the, the way that I've seen the industry through those lenses. Um, I, I took a break when I left motionographer, you know, my partner and I kind of grew in different directions. Uh, I had a business partner 
And so I left Motionographer and F5, which was a festival we created, and uh, the Motion Awards, which is an award show we created. I left all that in 2017, I believe, and took a break from the industry for a couple of years. I did web development full time in the finance industry, which is weird. And uh, that was a great experience, though. And and then came back to, um, to motion design by working at first an architecture firm called Gensler, which is a huge architecture firm, um, doing design direction there uh, for experiences. And then, um, and then I came to Buck and they were like, what do you, you know, they kind of knew what I was good at, what I was interested in. Um, and so they built a, a role around that. And I've been doing that now for about two years. So my, my role is director of communications strategy, which is kind of a made up role, but I oversee internal and external communications, a lot of cultural stuff, um, special projects every now and then. Um, it's just an awesome kind of catch all role that I, um, that I have where I get to report directly to leadership, but work with people across the entire company, across all four offices. And now with the launch of residence, our kind of newest, uh, project, newest company, I'm, um, I'm working heavily with that group as well. Thanks. I love it. That was very thorough. So <laughs> Sorry, it might have been a little long and a little boring. I, I can tell you I've done this quite some time. Um, so I'm going to give a little context to what you said for anyone that uh, doesn't know Motion Quiver uh, or Bugs. So Motion Quiver basically was, I would say, was the, the first creative community, so to speak, wasn't it? Back in the days, I mean, it was... Facebook well, was coming out and then you came yeah, out. Yeah, I think, I think I would give that to MoGraph.net, which I think is still around as a forum. Yeah. And that's really where I got started. It's where I learned everything about the industry that I learned was through this forum called MoGraph.net. And a lot of the active contributors there are still active in, in the scene. Um, I, I think I kind of built Motionographer on top of some of that stuff, at least initially, and then it became its own thing. But yeah, that was, I think, the first real forum, real community that I knew of. Back in the days, it was a great space for inspiration, right? You had this like top of the cream or crop of the cream, how you called it. The cream of the crop, um, yeah. Oh gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And the best, so, so, but we're not talking about Motion Crabber today because it's an amazing thing and it's a whole podcast episode. But what I want to talk to you about today is residence and residence as far as I got it is a network of pretty much the best animation, also sound studios out there. Um, and you're now working at Buck and I want to give a little context around that. So Buck is the biggest animation studio in the world. And I think you have more than what was it? 600 people on staff. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Across four studios in four offices. Yeah. That's yeah. in Amsterdam. That's the main office is headquarters. Where's that? Uh, Los Angeles. That was the first office. Then New York was the second one. And then the third one was Sydney. And the newest one is Amsterdam, which is uh, about a year and a half old. I think something like that. Maybe almost, yeah, about a year and a half old. So, and now we're coming to the juicy part. Tell me, you recently announced, and that's why we are only having this podcast now and not a week earlier. So yeah. you recently announced residence. Tell me yeah. what is residence and why do we need residence? Yes, those are good questions. Um, so residence is maybe the simplest way to think of it. It's a company that's owned by the companies that are part of residence, the companies that are in residence. And it was an initiative that was dreamed up by Buck, but really it's, it's um, now going to be driven by all the companies that are part of it. I've got somebody mowing the lawn right outside my window. You can probably hear that, <laughs> sorry. This is the joys of, of remote. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a mix between um, what you might think of as a holding company in the advertising world Except it's much smaller than any holding company, you know, that you might have heard of. And then it's like WPP is a big one in the advertising world. Yeah. But it's it's more of a co-op model in the sense that the the businesses that are part of the network own residents. So even though it was kind of, as I said, an idea from from Buck and initially the, the senior leadership, the executive leadership is Buck's leadership. It really is um, a collective effort. And so okay. the companies that are in residence right now are Buck, um, 
Then the first company that we actually kind of merged with was VT Pro Design. And you may not know them. They're based in LA, but they do best-in-class work for, I would just call it experience design. They specialize in creating um, really immersive kind of theatrical experiences, usually around you know entertainment properties or, or well-known brands. Um, the one thing they did recently to promote the movie, The Gray Man, that came out on Netflix with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, I think, um, was they created like they like crashed a bus into a building and like created this whole like escape room challenge. And people were being followed by drone cameras. And it was amazing, like social media experience. This was at Comic-Con in San Diego. They, they do really cool stuff like that. So they were the first really and kind of a guinea pig in a way. And then and then last week we announced this bigger launch kind of this okay we're you know vt pro was first now it's it's also giant ant which is an animation studio in vancouver a well-loved and well-respected animation studio um they do also uh some live action well they're just storytellers and they're really good at what they do very tight-knit group in vancouver so now technically we kind of have a vancouver office in addition to those other four offices you mentioned which is great because Canada is awesome and Vancouver in particular is awesome. Um, and then we also have what makes it really interesting, what makes residents, I think, different from other networks or holding companies or parent companies or whatever you want to compare it to is the addition of the Hudson Beck Group. Now, Hudson Beck Group itself is four companies. The, the most well-known of those companies it's called, is called uh, It's Nice That. It's nice that.com is in the creative world really well known and well respected for for shining a light on new and emerging talent across design and art and photography and you know animation and everything and they've been around since 2007 championing creativity in many different ways not just on their website but also by having um uh, events called nicer tuesdays in london um and doing all sorts of interesting initiatives around creativity and trying to, to enable creativity to thrive. They, over time, they have created three additional companies on kind of on the back of it's nice that one of them is an agency called anyways, again, not a traditional agency. It's, um, it's a, a small group that focuses on collaborating really intensely with clients and then tapping this massive talent network that it's nice that made possible to do really interesting things that are kind of out of the norm uh, for you know advertising and marketing and that kind of thing. So um, another project they created is called Creative Lives in Progress, which uh, is I I am most excited about that company um, from from like at least the perspective of Buck. Creative Lives in Progress is a kind of an educational platform, a, a platform for empowering and on ramping people into creative services, um, especially underrepresented people or people who may have limited access to learning and tools. So it's kind of a place to, um, to level up, to, to learn what you can do in creative services uh, across a huge range of, of you know, jobs and, and opportunities. And um, companies you know, basically uh, buy in as mentors and, and get to do portfolio reviews. And, and there's a bunch of interesting initiatives that Creative Lives in Progress is working on. Um, around empowering people uh, from all walks of life to enter the creative world. And then lastly, they have a job board called If You Could Jobs, which is really popular in London and the UK. And we're hoping to expand its reach um, globally. And that's one of, the, one of the reasons that Hudson Bet Group joined residents is um, not really to change anything they're doing, but just to scale it up. So they'll be part of our kind of you know, infrastructure and they'll have resources that they didn't have before in the terms of, in terms of people, uh, for one thing, we've got a lot of people, a lot of creative people who can do a lot of different things. Um, and then, you know, funding new ideas and new, um, new initiatives. All of these companies and residents are very entrepreneurial. Nobody's walking away. This wasn't a case where like, no, nobody got bought out in the, you know, in the traditional sense, nobody's uh, letting go of the reins of their companies. The opposite, actually. What this is an opportunity for everybody who who's in residence is to kind of double down on their vision as entrepreneurs and see what happens when they're part of an ecosystem of like-minded people who share the same values. So basically, residence is 
a network, a collection of companies um, that work together. It's more like an ecosystem, right? And but why? Like Buck doesn't need that. You. I've seen people like saying, you know, Buck was already so big or the biggest, you know, one of the biggest commercial animation companies in the world, if not, if not the biggest, at least for motion design. Why do this? Um, there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, we certainly didn't have to do it. Um, I think one of the reasons is that the owners and, and all of us, really, we feel like Buck has built something pretty special. You know, I've worked a lot of different places, but I've never worked anywhere like Buck, where I feel like I'm surrounded by people who are incredibly capable, but also incredibly nice and supportive and open. And the turnover at Buck is incredibly low. I think we're like between three and 5% annually. In our industry, the average is probably more like 20 to 30%, right? People jump, they just move all the time. And so we kind of, we figured out some things. I'm not going to say we've, we've solved, you know, everything, but we figured out a few things, a few key things about creating a place that attracts and retains really great people. And so there's also this kind of feeling that like, well, when the partners are done, they don't want it to be over. Right. So this is one way to kind of create something that lives beyond really any of the founders in the network. It, this should be able to continue on and on and on and on. That's the, that's the hope at least. So that's one thing. Another thing is that, you know, the industry has changed quite a bit. It's changing quite a bit. There's been consolidation um, happening in different ways. Clients have gotten pretty good at creating in-house studios. And the bigger the client, you know, the bigger the studio. But all the big, uh, all the big tech companies do this, including Apple, Facebook, or Meta, um, Netflix, Google. You know, they're, they're great at, at creating these in-house teams that produce a lot of the work that used to be done by studios, you know, like Buck. Mm. So that's been challenging. Um, it makes total sense that they're doing that. And, but it means that those, those big companies are taking a lot of the talent too. And so we have realized that what is key for our longevity and for the success of everybody that works at the companies in residence is talent. It's everything, you know, getting the, the best people, the right people, and then keeping them around, keeping them happy, um, giving them opportunities to grow, whatever that might mean for them. Sometimes that just means creative opportunities to do fun things and cool things. Sometimes it means career opportunities, you know, giving them multiple pathways to pursue, right? If you're in a small company, 12 people, 15 people, you're going to have very, very limited opportunities, both in terms of creative opportunities and in terms of career opportunities, um, that can be okay, right? As long as people know that kind of coming in. But at a small company, there's not going to be a lot of turnover up high. So there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for people to grow into more senior roles. So with growth, uh, it's, as long as it's done right, comes new opportunity for everybody in the company, at least in theory, right? So we were like, okay, well, if we create this network, with all these different, you know, kind of complementary companies and initiatives, mission-driven companies and those kinds of things, it, it creates a kind of almost like an art school, like a giant art school where you can go and you can kind of pick your path and you can say, well, I, I want to focus more on this. Maybe you want to get into more like strategy. Well, we have our own strategy team at Buck, but then if you want to go like, well, well how does the agency world work? Well, then you can maybe, maybe you'll kind of work on something with anyways creative, you know, the agency I mentioned earlier, that's part of the Hudson Beck group, which is now in residence. Um, and, or you want to work on games, you want to pitch TV shows, maybe you want to do experiential work with VT Pro Design. We're creating this, this kind of wonderland of creative opportunity that is, you can't do that alone. It's really hard to do that as one company and still maintain any sense of focus. So residence allows this huge array of opportunities but still keeps like a cohesive. And so, you know, and some of these companies are going to be more independent than others and some will get closer to buck. And so over time, this will kind of congeal and it's not done by the way, we're going to be adding more companies to residents over time. Mm. The idea is to create this unprecedented kind of uh, opportunity for growth that even our clients who are kind of taking some really good talent, they're not going to be able to do that either. Now they'll be able to yeah. offer other things, right? And, and depending on who you are, 
maybe it makes sense to go work at, at Meta and and not you know with for a residence company. And we have no problem with that. Obviously, like we 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 encourage people to pursue whatever makes sense. But we wanted to at least know that we were trying our best to attract and keep the people that that you know we already have and um, and looking forward that we're going to keep doing that. Uh, hopefully, even when we're dead and gone. That's amazing. That's awesome. Sounds good, right? Sounds good. You know, it's, 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 it's all new. Like part of the problem with this, like from a communications perspective, where I come from is I have never seen a precedent for this. So none of the, none of the words work like, like holding company, network, parent company, they're all Mm -hmm. gross and they don't really describe what we're trying to do. So consequently, there's been some confusion about it, um, which is okay. Anytime you do something new, in the history of new ideas, nobody ever just says, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. Usually people <laughs> are true. like, that's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. I'm confused. Don't do it. Back out. Makes, right? I believe it makes total sense. And especially when you come from the problem you're solving, right? So yeah. And just give a little context, like... Um, Usually studios like mid, mid-sized studios, small studios, their biggest problem is getting clients, getting great clients, yeah. uh, paying the bills. So, but you are at a level where getting clients is not the problem. Right. I know you don't have like a dedicated sales force or anything, but you're so big, clients come to you, right? Right. So your biggest problem is actually getting the talents to stay at, at, at the top, basically. Yes. And then again, the your clients actually... They, they probably pay a lot more than any design studio could ever pay, like Meta and, and Headspace. So the problem you're solving is actually, you, you're actually competing against your clients now in terms of talent. In terms of talent, yeah, I think so. And it's, I don't want to make it sound adversarial because it's not, you know, our clients, of course, we, we love our clients. That's how we're able to do what we do. But there's only so much talent to go around, you know, and if they see somebody that fits what they need, of course, they're going to make a pass, you know, and try to try to get them over. And we understand that. Um, but yeah, that's well said. It's and it's a really lucky place to be where talent is the number one problem. We don't have to worry so much about, you know, drumming up new business. But but it's weird because we do, you know, we are concerned about we always want we never want to get lazy and we always want to diversify our, our client base because you don't want to have too many eggs in one basket ever. And also the clients, you know, over time margins change and all that stuff too. So you can't really count on, on any one thing staying the same ever. Um, I think our strategy has been, especially with the larger clients, you get in there and this, this works for mid-sized studios and small size studios. It doesn't matter. We could be one person, but you get in there and you do, do the work and do it really, really well, but be smart and listen to the other things that are going on that might, that they might need help with. So what tends to happen with us is we do really well with, you know, some team at meta or whatever, they're really happy with what we did. And they talk to somebody else on a totally different team, totally different area of the company, maybe. And they, Oh yeah, Buck, we, we had a great experience with them you know, the project is managed well and all that. And then somebody else that admitted, well, I need that. And so next thing you know, then we're getting referrals kind of within the company. It's kind of a land and expand model is what Mm -hmm. they call it. Uh, And that's worked really well for us. And it's also encouraged us to grow organically our skill set and our offering. So now we have a strategy department, which for a lot of motion studios doesn't make sense. You wouldn't have a whole team. Then you may have somebody who can do strategy, you know, but to have a whole team for that, you got to be a certain size, but now we have a strategy department and, and they're vital for, um, not only delivering great work, but for this kind of idea of like expanding our influence within a company. So it's pretty cool to see that and, and to see that strategy working, but it all comes back to talent. If we didn't have the right people at Buck, we wouldn't be able to do this, you know, strategy offering that we have, but we, we were so careful to hire the right people early on that it's working out now kind of, you know, over time. So you, you talked about, you said something earlier that, that kind of, um, um, I'm curious about, mm-hmm. you said it's kind of like an art school. So are you like, I'm just assuming, are you developing some, some kind of, of training programs inside the company or is, is that, is that also becoming like more like a community? Yeah. 
one like, of the, out, like accessible from the outside too? Yeah. This is something, uh, the idea of education in general is something that the partners, so there's three partners at Buck. It's still, um, you know, majority by, by those three partners. I think they've been interested in this idea for years, at least as long as I've known them, which is, you know, almost 15 years. Um, and it's not just like, you know, education broadly defined, right? So we, ha- we, we are working on internally, you know, kind of training programs around specific initiatives. Right now, for instance, a really big deal is, is machine learning and, and AI-generated uh, imagery and media. And we are fascinated by it. We're a little bit wary of it. And so what we're doing is we're creating um, kind of a, an internal training opportunity so people can learn what's happening, what are the tools that are being used, and you know, how can we use them on jobs or not. That's kind of a, a that's a very small example, I think, of of what you're talking about. The uh, ultimate dream, I would love for for us to create an externally facing educational initiative, uh, and this goes probably to some of the Hudson Beck Group's you know efforts. They've they've already kind of made some inroads on these uh, pathways, so we'll be working closely with them, I think, on some of these ideas. But I'd love for us to have externally facing educational opportunities, you know, for people to to enter this, um, I think, very exciting field. Um, and I, I think, you know, this is, a, a, there's a lot of talk about the need for, for this, for um, alternatives to places like what's on my hat here, VFS, Vancouver Film School, um, which Vancouver Film School is amazing. And, and Ryan Honey, one of our founders, you know, went there. I went to SCAD and a lot of people at our, our um, uh, offices have gone to SVA and, um, you know, ringling the big schools, but they're very, very expensive and they're, they're harder than ever to kind of pay for and get into. So there's a lot of need for, I think, education and just community. And that's, I think, another idea around residents that, well, it's going to take time to develop mm-hmm. that, but there's a lot of excitement from a lot of people in residence about that, about the idea of creating something that's community driven, that's around education. A community driven art school with low fees would, I mean, that would attract, that would pretty much open the door to the rest of the world, right? I hope There's so. So many talents out there, they can't just afford regular art school and stuff. Right. So, yeah. My friend, okay. Joey Kornman, Joey Kornman, who owns School of Motion, he started School of Motion, which if you haven't heard of it, schoolofmotion.com. I, I think he's done, I mean, he's built a great business, but it's done an amazing service to people around the world. I mean, I, 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 he told me once how many people are from outside the United States and his, that take his program to take his classes. And it was a super high number. And I thought that's really exciting because that means it's accessible um, it's not too expensive for people to enter. And what that does is it just opens up the talent pool for everybody. You know, that's now there's more people coming in and they're all going to have their own interests and strengths and stuff. And so over time, you know, that's going to have a massive effect in the industry. So I'd love to see more of that. Gunner, Gunner Animation Studio was just purchased by Duolingo. And one of their ambitions is to create an animation school or animation program of some sort. I think that's fantastic. I really, I hope they're able to do that, you know? So what's the roadmap for residents? Yeah. If I'm being honest with you, the, the plan is no plan in a way. So that sounds uh, really naive and stupid, but Buck has toyed with, oh, and since Buck has been around what, since 2004, I think. Buck has toyed with a lot of different approaches to its own growth and strategy. Some very, very intentional, like road mapping out the next however many years or whatever. But I think what the partners and the executive team have realized is that we do best when we like hold on loosely and we, we don't try to be super prescriptive. Instead, we kind of listen to the moment. We see what the opportunities are, what our strengths are at that moment in time. And we build accordingly. And so that model is going to apply to residents as well. So I would say, generally speaking, the roadmap is 
to find the correct levels of integration between all the companies. So there's seven companies in residence now. Some of them are naturally going to gravitate towards each other. Some need to stay independent. You know, like it's nice that, for instance, that's a that's a media outlet. So we have firewalls between it's nice that and basically everything else because we don't want to sully their their editorial reputation, yeah. right? So they're always going to be kind of in a bubble a little bit. Now they have their own ecosystem that they'll be connected to and type. But some of the other companies are getting already closer and closer. You know, VT Pro Design, for instance, we've been pitching a lot with them, co-pitching, you know, these experiential things. And so, you know, we're getting closer. And so I think the plan for residents over the next, let's call it, you know, year or two is to find those sweet spots of integration, build bridges where we need to, move companies closer where we need to and let the kind of organic uh, growth happen on its own, not push it too hard. We're not going to push anything too fast. One of the things we told everybody internally when we were announcing this internally was nothing's going to change on day one. And that's true. We have this new name and this new new thing, but we're taking our time and we're involving as many people as we can internally to make decisions uh, in a very intentional way. So <clears throat> I, I kind of love it. I totally love it. Um, it's the new entity you're forming this kind of a new, it's kind of a new business construct, a new business model, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Um, it's more, and, and that comes from your website. It's more people focused, right? This yeah. is like, you actually want to focus on the people, on the talents. You want to create a space, not only for, I mean, it's a different time now. Mm -hmm. Um, so talking about opportunities, what, what's lacking in the creative industry? Mm. Like what, what do we not see? Like what do creatives not see? That's interesting. Tell me a little more what you mean by that. Like, what do you mean? Like so, what? Yeah. So you're creating, like, what's the kind of need out of creating mm. this kind of art school? There are plenty of art okay. schools out there. Why right? is yeah. not only about money? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. You can access it on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And when I say art school, it's more of a metaphor of, of like the mentality that we want to have, you know, and this really came from our Amsterdam office. Um, Vincent, who runs our Amsterdam office, likes this, like, his studio is just like a learning environment. You're always, when they have, when we do happy hours in New York, we, we, you know, we get drinks and we go out when they have happy hours, they like make pottery and they do figure drawing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you guys are amazing. Awesome. Yeah, sorry. I guess. Uh, and so I love this idea. So it is a metaphor. We don't, you know, when I say art school, it's not like an actual art school. It's not going to be programmed. At least not yet. Um, but the thing that I see lacking is when, especially if you're younger and you're entering the field, right? You, you know, you like design, maybe, you know, you like animation or something like that. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to carve your own path because it feels like everything that you do is kind of dictating your next move, whether you like it or not. And so you, at least at the beginning, you kind of have to make a choice. Are you going to go client side or not? And so if you go client side, chances are you're mostly going to be working on product or marketing a product for a company. So to be specific, let's say um, you decide, okay, I'm going to go work for Meta and I'm going to work, uh, they're going to be on the Instagram team. And now I'm going to be working on Instagram, you know, all the time. Um, well, maybe that's cool at first, right? And you can learn a ton from that. But at some point, you're probably going to get itchy feet. You're going to think, okay, I've been working with one brand, you know, for however many years and it's kind of a monoculture and I'm ready for some, I'm ready to branch out, you know, as a designer or, or any kind of creative person, you need to be challenged. You need to be brought outside of your comfort zone. And it can be hard to do that when you're on the client side sometimes, especially if you're attached to a specific product. Um, it's a little easier if you're on the marketing team, maybe. But so at that point you feel like, well, well, crap, I've been doing this for so long at Instagram or wherever you are that it, now I feel that it's hard for me to, to move out of this and to grow. And I talk to people all the time who want to change. They want to try things new, but they, they're a little concerned, you know, they, they're mid career now. And they're like, I don't know how to do this. Um, I feel like I'm starting over. I feel like I've got imposter syndrome, all the things. Right. Mm. So there's, there's that, there's this kind of 
you know, feeling of, oh, well, I, I took a step when I got out of school and that put me on a path that was okay then, but now I'm like, how do I get out of it? So one of the things I think we want to do, and we've been doing it at, at Buck, but we want to do it at scale with residences, give people more options at whatever phase they're in in their career, whether they're just starting out um, or whether they're super senior and they're, you know, kind of looking for leadership options. That is not something I I've seen anybody yeah. really go after hardcore in our, in our world. So it's no, no one does. That's like, I love how you described it. Like you actually, you go a path and it's pretty much defined, right? You, when you move up an art director, you know what to do creative director of strategy. And it's kind yeah. of like, it's very narrow. It's very, and I love it. Now people can actually change and can switch. They can, I don't know, yeah. can adapt what they do to their lifestyle. I'm, and I'm, I mean, yeah. at 40, a lot of things change, right? Yeah. So you, yeah. you might want to change. I love the it. The other thing the, that's nice about it too, and, and we've been doing this again in, in, at Buck, is, um, you know, sometimes you just need to try something. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, a lot of people think, I want to make TV shows. You know, especially if you work in animation, maybe you do character animation, maybe you have ideas for TV shows. Um, and what they don't know is, well, how does that whole thing work? How do you pitch a TV show? How do you develop a TV show? So we have a team that is headed up by um, a bunch of seasoned people from the animation industry, from the entertainment side. Um, and we've been pitching shows and developing shows and um, selling them in some cases and And so what we say internally, we created basically an educational track. So you can learn how to develop a show, how to pitch a show. Um, and if you, you know, your show gets picked up, then, you know, you, you get to benefit from it and all that. So what happens though, a lot of times is I think people realize, so they get, they kind of, they learn and like, oh, this is actually harder or not as fun as I thought it would be. Uh, maybe I'm not interested in, in pitching a show. Cool. No, no, no problem. Right. That's pretty cool to be able to just tiptoe in, be like, eh, nope, never mind. And then try something else. Maybe you want to work on a game now. Okay, we have a games team too, so you can try that. And if you don't like it, it's no big deal. We want you to experience it. So being able to create, so it's not like this giant commitment, right? It's not like I'm going to throw my whole career away because I think I right. want to make TV shows. And then you go do it and you're like, oh, crap, this sucks. <laughs> so, you know, you know, that, that's just one outcome, but, but, you know, I think that's a nice thing we're trying to do is, is make failure or experimentation. Okay. You know, so you actually make it easy for people to leave their comfort zone, even though they have yeah. family now, they have other responsibilities, right? It's not that, exactly. it's not that easy to switch careers when you're 40, yeah. 45 or something. So you actually, and then that brings back a lot of, 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 I love it. It brings back a lot of like inspiration, but also paired with experience because those people have seen a lot and they get mm. into the field. You actually kind of create a mix of different, uh, different fields, which yes. sparks That's new That's the ideas. coolest thing about it oh. is that by opening the doors up to everybody at Buck or, or in residence and saying, hey, what idea do you have? You're going to get stuff you would have never thought of right. with a, a dedicated team in a silo, you know? And that's the real value about this, right? This is like, you're creating actually a new kind of creative, like a, a, a um, it's not a generalist, but someone that has more expertise that comes out from a specific yeah. niche and goes to the new and brings the whole expertise from one niche to the other one, Yeah, which actually is, 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 is vastly needed in this time. Oh, yeah. that's... Cool. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it is. It is cool. And I've, I've seen it, you know, really open people's eyes and get people excited. And it's, it's fun to see yeah. on the branding side, we've been doing this too. Like we've been, people have been coming to us from Pentagram and from, um, and Walsh and Collins. And well, I don't know if we have anybody, anybody from Collins. I think we do. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't want to misspeak, but you know, these massive well-known branding places and they're now at Buck and they're doing things They're doing brand work that, you know, you would expect that's the level that you would expect from those big places I just mentioned, but it's through the lens of Buck. So it's different and it's kind of new and interesting. So, and that's, we didn't plan that. We're just like, okay, well, we're just, again, we're following the talent. What are they interested in? What are we good at? And so you're getting these weird hybrids and stuff, you know? And then the yeah. other kind of bigger challenge here 
that some people have asked us about, like as we're building residents, they're like, well, what about diversity and inclusion? Because it looks like a lot of these people are pretty similar looking. They look like white people, like, like me, you know, maybe they're female, maybe they're women, but a lot of them are white, right? And so this again is why I'm excited about the Hudson Bet Group because we, in theory at least, and over, it's going to take a while, but I think we're going to be able to create new on-ramps for um, all sorts of new talent from around the world that's more diverse than ever. And if they work at Buck, that's great. Obviously, we want them to. But if they don't, they, they go work for our competitors, that's great too. The, it's it's the whole industry needs more diversity, right? And so anything that, that we can do to help that along is going to be good for all of us. And who knows, they may end up at Buck eventually anyways. So I'm excited. Those are big, those are big, uh, big plans, but I think they're arguably maybe the most important um, things that we're working on is trying to, you know, broaden the, the open the doors as wide as possible. And the beauty about that is there's, I mean, I have been working a lot in Asia and in the mm. Arabian countries. It's, it's like, there's so much talent also in Eastern crazy. Europe, right? Like, oh, Eastern Europe talent. is just like bubbling with talent. It's insane. It is, isn't it? It's like, yeah. it's so amazing. And, but they, they just can't break into the more Western yeah. kind of industry. Yeah. It's um, hard. Yeah. South America has always that? been in this situation. In yeah. The budgets America. are not there. You know, the budgets, I went and spoke one time in India and it was a very, it was a, um, a humbling experience because I was invited to go speak about the state of motion design to a group of Indian um, designers, animators, and studio owners. And so I gave this presentation, showed a bunch of cool work, talked about trends. I didn't show a single project from an Indian company, right? Of course, I didn't think about this, but after I finished my talk, this guy came up to me and was like, I noticed you didn't have any Indian studios. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. He's like, well, I get it. He's like, you know, the budgets are really low. When we do get, you know, clients who are willing to pay for something, they just want us to kind of clone something else. They want it to look like, you know, something else, some derivative thing. Oh, yeah. And then when the, when the budget is really big, they go outside of India. They go to some other company, you know, in Europe or, or maybe in Australia or something to make that work. And I thought, okay, well, that's, that's a problem, right? You want, you want those big clients. And India has massive industry. That, you know, with, with plenty of deep pockets, you want them to stay. I think they should be hiring Indian studios or studios that are around there that can, that are aware of all those cultural norms and things that are really hard to understand when you're outside, you know? So I don't know how that changes. I've talked to my, my wife is from Mexico and I've talked to some, some um, studios down there about this because they have the exact same problem. You know, when the budgets get big enough, the Mexican uh, companies that have the budgets will go to the U.S. to to, to do the work, and, and on the one hand, I'm like, great, yeah, hire Buck to do it, you know. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, these, there's so much talent down there, you know. There's got to be a way to make that work, but I don't yes. know. I don't know how how to change that. Well, so talking from my own experience, I I used to have uh, I co-founded the motion design studio, and we branded TV stations like traditional okay. TV station branding, network branding stuff which was huge back in the days, right? So yeah. it's not that big anymore. But we got, we won a contract in Malaysia, Asia, and we actually branded 50 TV stations of one big network. So it was a oh huge, God. it was huge. But, and I, I mean, when I walked down there, I thought, okay, we are better than anyone else. That's why they, they called us. We, we weren't, right? It wasn't the, this wasn't because we did so, such amazing motion design and, and art and stuff. They had amazing talent down there and those talents were way younger than we are. Okay. And they had just masses. Like we walked through the whole, like anyway, hundreds of people in there. The reason they actually, and this was the fascinating thing for me, and maybe this is something you want to pick up. Mm. The reason why they called, why they always hire Western companies or agencies and brand strategy agencies, things like that is because of uh, the ability to to think in a more holistic way okay like everything fits together yeah and that's something they said asians are not built to do okay. like they have the community but it's it's like same same but different you may okay. have heard this before but it's like everyone has this individuality but they don't have like 
it's hard for them to come up with a, uh, to actually to consistency. I'm, I think mm. that's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Having this, this Western approach to consistency. That's what they're missing. Okay. Interesting. That makes sense. Another thing that I think I wonder, maybe you could tell me is Western studios, especially ones that are like pretty confident, maybe been around for a few years. Um, aren't really afraid to challenge clients either. You know, so if a client says, we want this, Buck and, and many, many studios that I've worked with will say like, okay, I know you want, you think you want that, but here's what you actually need. Yes. And um, I wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing over like overseas. Do you, do you think that that helps too? Or is that more of a problem? <sighs> is that more? Of a, so we won because we didn't play by the rules. There you Not go. Not at all. Yeah. And I think, um, especially, I mean, but on the other hand, everyone is looking to the U S right. Mm. Everyone is looking like we did TV stations and the briefing was always mm. like one of the big stations, right? It had to be like yeah. a big, big TV station that they came out with a new TV opening, a new show that was always in the briefing. But then on the other hand, it's like they wanted the bigness and then the, the, the size of that, the feeling, but, um, Actually, it's a good question. I don't really have an answer to. <laughs> and, I mean, and there may not be a universal thing there, but I remember at one point when I was working for PSYOP a, a while ago, now about 10 years ago, I went to India, um, same trip actually. Um, so I did my speaking thing and then I was going around and I was kind of trying to figure out like, should we maybe open like a production arm there? And, you know, should we... Um, Cause that was a, a bit of a trend at the time. It's like, okay, you know, you have your team in India that can do a lot of right. talented people and they can do a lot of work, but it's cheaper. And so, you know, maybe that's good for some clients and all that. And I talked to a lot of American studio owners who had operations in India. And, um, the one thing that they said, culturally, they said it's a little tricky because in India, and this may have changed, but they were like, there's a real, um, eagerness to please. And that sounded great to me. I was like, well, that's okay. Awesome. And they're like, well, it can be a problem because, um, they'll kind of say yes to everything. And even when they shouldn't maybe, or even when they can't deliver on something. Yeah. And they said, so you just need to be aware of that. And I thought, oh gosh, see, these are the cultural things that being an outsider, you know, it, it's, I'm not going to understand that. <laughs> I need to know, you know, internally, if, if that's even true, you know, how, whoops, how do you deal with that? How do you, you know, kind of build a business around that? It ended up, we didn't, we didn't, you know, end up building a, an Indian presence uh, over there. But, um, I thought that was interesting. I thought, oh gosh, every culture probably has its idiot, including the United States it has its idiosyncrasies, you know, they really have a, a big effect on the bottom line uh, and you need to know what those are and, and how you're going to, you know, kind of roll with those things. It's a huge difference. Like, even though the just so, so speaking about the uh, diff cultural difference between Europe and US, it's, oh, it's massive. huge. And it's like, yeah. as I always teach my, my clients this in the US, it's always like you have this, this go west spirit, right? In, in the US, you, you sell the big dream, you s sell what you could, like what you, you could create. And that's, that's pretty much what you're doing at the moment, that you create something so. new, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would never happen in Germany. Mm. And the reason for that is like in Germany, you don't sell the future, you sell kind of the past. What I mean by ah, that is okay. you sell the security, the safety net. It's like we had so many wars in Europe and that's kind of just my perspective. That makes on, sense though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when you have wars, you don't trust your neighbor, right? It's like more, you need more safety, more security. Yeah. In the West, you all had the same dream, go West and then maybe, well. Manifest destiny. Part, yes. Yeah. That's, Kind of like and then you go, go to the East and it's like, all oh, so vibrant, different flavors. It's, it's much more like, mm -hmm. and like, seriously, like when we, we worked a lot around the world, uh, on, uh, around the world back then, it's like understanding the culture. Mm. That was the biggest part of the job because when you come in mm. with this Western mindset, you're just, you're failing. Yes. Yeah. This, I, I, I was introduced to this when we opened our Amsterdam office because I was talking to Vinny, Vincent Lammers, who runs that office. He's our executive creative director there. And he was like, you know, we have to be careful here because we don't want Buck to be 
this big U.S. presence in Europe. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's going to be gross. People are going to want to run away from that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, tell me more. He's like, you know, it, it, it can be, it looks like a big colonial effort, you know, coming over to Europe. So he was very careful when he, and he's still careful when he builds his teams. I think we only have one American in that office and there's about, oh gosh, I don't know how many people are there, 35, something like that. We have one American. I think everybody else is from everywhere. A, a lot of Europeans, but really all over the place. And um, it is very much its own culture, that office. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to have that, you know, kind of like stereotypical American, you know. But it happens yeah. so fast, right? It's like, especially yeah. if you're, I mean, it's it's an effort to hire for someone from abroad. You have to mm-hmm. support them with a visa. You have to mm-hmm. actually integrate them into the culture because it's not easy for them. And then yeah. things like that. So it's hard. It's, yeah. it's not an easy undertaking. It's true. We have, I don't know what the latest number is, but. I mean, we have an enormous number of people on visas of different sorts. And um, we realize like these, these folks who are from all over the world, who have been moved now to some, you know, different country, different city, different culture, um, they all need each other too. They need to know that they're all in this together. So we have a group called, we have different employee resource groups is what they call ERGs. I think we're going to re- rename these soon. It sounds so corporate, but they're like, we have a group for, um, it's called Black at Buck. And that's for all of our kind of Black and African-American um, employees to, it's a safe space, you know, where they can say whatever they want, uncensored, and, and they have a budget to do enrichment and all those things. We have one for, inter- for our international um, employees, which is, I mean, I want to say it's like half of the company. It, it, I don't know what it is. It's, it's an enormous number of people. But I'm often concerned about with COVID and all of us working remotely, the, the feeling of isolation that they must feel you know, um, working in, in this, these foreign cultures and, and foreign places and not feeling connected to the people around them. So I, I hope that now that we have our offices open again and people are able to get back together, they're able to spend time together because they're, it's really important to be able to, to know that you're not in it alone and, and that, you know, mm-hmm. um, wherever you are, you're, you're bringing value and you matter and all that, you know, but it's, it's a really a uphill challenge with, with everything being remote. Justin, I would love to talk to you for hours, and yeah. but I also want to res- be respectful with your time. I guess you still have a full working day ahead of you. I, do. I have a meeting in one minute. But I can, one minute. I can be a little okay. late. Yeah. <laughs> if I may, one last question, because yeah. I didn't ask you this, and this is kind of important. Are you playing a role at residence? Uh, well, so for now, I'll be working on my, my main role is, I, I see it, is opening lines of communication between the seven companies so that they're all aware of what each other is doing. Um, that alone is a huge challenge. Just to show, you know, just so one company knows what the other one is doing at any given moment is going to be a multi-year effort. And so that'll, that'll be um, where I'm spending a lot of my time. And, you know, we just launched our web presence and social channels. We got to figure out what are those for? What are we going to do with those? You know, who cares really? Um, And so there's a lot of work there. And so I've hired somebody to run um, communications for Buck. She is amazing. Her name's Charlie Jordan. And so she and I are working together a lot on that. And I'm spending a lot of time on residence. I'd say probably 80% of my time on residence now. Nice. Cool. So I hope we're going to hear more of residents, more yeah. about you, your role. And I want to be, I'm, I'm thankful for your time and I'm going to let you go to your next meeting. Thank you so much, Marco. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. That was Justin Cohen and we talked about Buck and the residents. I hope you enjoyed the show. My name is Marco Pfann and I'm looking forward to see you on the next show where I talk to creative legends or maybe even just myself. Who knows? We'll see.